Legally Sound Smart Business presents Behind the Buy. Very glad to be through this. It was a contingency to close. Uh, we haven't received counter signatures for all the pair contracts. We may have a delay on our billing just a little bit. I'm really not too worried about that. Great. And we should also go over the post escrow and the disbursement of funds process. What's your plan with the staff? We're going to announce the acquisition or forgo using the brand. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stobb. All right, welcome to episode seven of our Behind the Buy series of Legally Sound Smart Business. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. And this is closing day, probably the most not exciting part of buying a business or this process, even though, at least from an attorney's perspective, because even though there's a lot in this episode, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's underwhelming because a, a if if we did our jobs correctly, it's a it's a non-event, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if it's if it is exciting, then that means something bad has happened. So it typically, you know, when everything's closed, you want to make sure that there's no fireworks that day because we've seen it before. Something could happen last minute. There's a contingency that needs to be satisfied still, and there's a question of that. So there's just a again. If it's if something's blowing up that day, it's it's not good. Correct, and and I I do enjoy that kind of last minute you know shuffle and and trying to figure things out. Usually, like you said, like it's there's problems, there's other people involved trying to figure that out. But in this case, it turned out well. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm giving too much away because the transaction itself, even though there's been a few bumps in the road, has been relatively smooth, and and I think that is hopefully some credence to our ability to make it smooth, even though with the the bumps in the road. But I think also the main component was the time. You know, this wasn't a close that we had to do in a week. I, I think this was a course of uh, a couple months or so. And that gives us quite a bit of leeway to actually uh, deal with some of these issues. Sure. I mean, that, that certainly helps. But like you said too, it's it's really on our end. It's it's problem solving. So, you know, the listeners have heard the various problems that arose throughout the throughout the escrow period. And it's really looking at those face on addressing them and then strategizing to what's the the best way to approach it. Cause oftentimes nothing's going to be perfect if, if a problem arises, but it's really trying to mitigate the risk and find something that's going to be as seamless as possible. I mean, preferably for our client, but ideally, I guess for, for both just to keep things going. Right. So we're going to play this call. It's actually pretty short, but it's, it's, there's actually quite a bit in there. So Listen carefully because we're going to break it down in details, to, especially what's going on before and after this particular call is, uh, is going to be a, a big focus for us. So let's listen in. All right. Hello. Happy closing day. <laughs> yes. Uh, very glad to be through this and finally get started on the actual business. 
So yeah, we thought we'd just have a quick call on what you can expect today and also catch you up on on our recording a little. I know we've been talking about a lot of this stuff offline through email, but let me review it again. So typically closings are not much of an event, as you may think, but they actually are typical, you know, it's they used to sit in an office and exchange signatures and kind of a formality uh, or some some formalness to it. But that's rarely done now in our experience. Uh, uh, we, in fact, just yesterday, you gave us the signature pages, which today is we'll actually exchange those signatures with the with the seller. And, and so, Matt, do you mind going over the closing package? Just make sure she knows what's in there. Yeah, sure. So the main thing is finalizing the exhibits of the listed assets. So we're not excluding any assets of the business except accounts receivable and cash on hand. The main thing I do want to confirm is that we have the lease agreement consent signed by the landlord for the assignment and an amendment to the lease that will become effective on notice of the closing to the landlord, uh, which we'll do today as well. Though it was a contingency to close, uh, we haven't received counter signatures for all the pair contracts, but you're okay with moving forward, right? Yeah, they just take forever. But I've got the green lights that our rates will be effective the day we start billing. Um, but they need to load up the contracted rates into the system so that we may have a delay on our billing just a little bit, but I'm, I'm really not too worried about that. Perfect. Okay. So, and we have our MSO structure set up. Um, we we kind of handled that off our recordings. And we should be able to operate without a hitch overnight, I think. So what's your what's your plan with the staff? Yeah, so the buyer and I are going to go and meet in person with the entire staff, and we're going to announce the acquisition and go over some questions on the whole transition process. But at this point, I think we'll be able to keep everyone aboard for now, at least, um, just so the transition is not as you know abrupt. Great. And we should also go over the post-escrow and the disbursement of funds process. Yeah, Matt, please, uh, let's go through that. Yeah, so there's a small payoff for the x-ray machine that will be made at closing. Then everything except the holdback amount to deal with the trademark issue will be distributed to the seller. So we'll have three months to either keep the brand and release the funds or forgo using the brand and get the holdback amount back. Okay, so when do you think we'll know if we can use the name? Yeah, I'll reach out to that company first thing on Monday after we close. Okay, thanks. Okay, so I think that's it. Matt has already sent the closing package to the seller via DocuSign. So we're just waiting for that. And so once that's done, we'll release your signatures as well and provide escrow, joint escrow instructions to get the deposit released. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, you've, you've already deposited the remaining funds yesterday, so that's good to go as well. I did. Um, and thank you both again. I know this probably ended up being more time than you guys expected, um, but I really appreciate it. No, not at all. And believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, it's this has been pretty typical. I think Matt, what we, pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, and there's always something that comes up, you know. So and though we got some small hiccups here and there, no, no huge detours, I would say. Well, either way, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And now we have a business to run. That's right. So okay, of course. Thank you again for being part of the recording. I, it, frankly, it was a good experience for us too, because I think it really showed some of the conversations that we have uh, uh, with our clients that a lot of people just don't see. But we'll, we'll wait at least six months or so, and we'll talk about it before we publish it. That way we give time to edit it, make sure we have a good idea of what we want to edit out. Uh, you know, I know there are a couple parts in some calls that I think we should just leave out altogether. It's just not may not be relevant, uh, but we can decide that later. 
Yeah, you know, actually, it was really fun, um, and I'm really glad you guys asked me to do it. Cool, thank you. So we'll talk to you so soon. Um, <laughs> I guess from now on, we'll we'll be offline. But uh, I appreciate it again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you again. Okay, thanks so much, guys, and see you guys both later. See you later. Bye. All right. Well, the transaction is done, and now we're ready to talk about that very condensed version of what happened on that closing day. But first, before we talk about that, let's, of course, thank our sponsor. We're coming to the end of this Behind the Buy series, and I, I'm not sure, I, I, there's not enough I can say about how thankful I am about this particular sponsor throughout this series. It's been an incredible experience for us, and thank you. And oh, I should probably mention the sponsor. Matt, why don't you do that? Sure. The sponsor is Posh Law PC, a law firm practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois. And I think you're exactly right. It's what's the the phrase, if it's not broke or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They've been a, a great sponsor from beginning to end. And you know, we, we couldn't have asked for anything better. All right. So, so, okay, let's break this down. The closing is, as we mentioned, is somewhat of a non-event this time around. We've had experiences where that's not the case. Thankfully, in this case, it was. But it's not to say that there was a lot of still a lot of details to deal with. We, we mentioned how the actual closing used to be more of an event because you had to meet in person. You had to actually exchange original signatures. A lot of times you would do it at an attorney's office or at an escrow office or of some sort. But, but nowadays, like especially when you're buying businesses, you know, in, in this case, like the buyer and seller weren't even in the same state at the, on that day. And, and so what we did is we actually had our clients sign first. And so we had it in our possession and we just waited for the other party to sign their copy. And then we just exchanged documents. And literally that's, that's what it was. But it just reminded me, and this is kind of related, but it reminded me when uh, in properties class in law school, they talked about how when they used to actually do exchange a property or land between parties, they would literally meet at the land, take a piece of the dirt in front of witnesses and place the dirt in the other, and the seller would place the dirt in the buyer's hands. And it would be symbolic, but it would of course be memorable because like, yeah, I remember that time that Joe transferred that dirt to so-and-so and, and it, was, it was like that. Nowadays, it's a lot more simple. Yeah, that would have been, I, I don't, well, first of all, I don't think I ever learned that in my properties class, but yeah, that would have been interesting if they tried to do that here. I'm not really sure how it would have worked. I guess they wanted to do the dirt part. <laughs> well, they they don't even own the land here. So as well, as you heard on the call, there's a thing of the lease anyways, but yeah, that's, I don't know what they could have done for this. We'd, we'd have to come up with some sort of alternative way to do the symbolic transfer. Maybe. Maybe a ribbon cutting or some sort. So, but you mentioned so you mentioned the lease, right? So there's there's quite a few things of being signed at closing, other than just hey, you know, here's the bill of sale. Throughout this process, we talked about different agreements and contingencies, and what needs to happen with the employees and things like that. And that's really all what all that preparation comes down to this closing day. And one of the many documents that are signed is actually a lease assignment and consent. And if you guys recall, there was this big problem where there was like three months, three or four months left in the lease. The seller did not uh, exercise their renewal, but there was a silver lining to it because the buyer was able to negotiate with the landlord in a, a more favorable rate. 
it was a little bit more favorable, but the market dictated that. And, and so in connection with that, we also sign an amendment to the lease. So here you have the original lease being assigned to the buyer with an amendment on the rate, basically. Yeah. And that's pretty common to, to do that all in one, one uh, kind of transaction, just handle it all, all at once instead of kind of piecemealing it. But I think the something, too, I, that kind of I thought of when you were talking about that is, you know, oftentimes we, we obviously addressed this in the, the purchase agreement that this needed to be done. But I think sometimes the parties look at that and they see it in the purchase agreement. They're like, all right, well, we got that out of the way. But I, I don't think I'm stating anything that's not obvious here. People have to take actions after that to make sure that those things get done. I, I think so, sometimes it's situations where see they, people see it on the paper and they just feel like that's done. But there's other thing, you know. The, people have to take other steps to make sure those contingencies are met. So I, I, th- I don't know. I'm not breaking any ground here, but I, I think that just warrants mentioning, just because it's, you know, just because you've agreed to something and maybe even discussed it with the landlord in this case, you still need to actually uh, see it through. Which sometimes gets overlooked. Yeah, get that, that, yeah, that's one of the t- that's one of the reasons a closing could there could be some fireworks at the end or towards the end just because you're like, oh yeah, I forgot we had to do this. Yeah, we we've seen instances where especially where there's a lease involved, they forget that they need the consent of the landlord and they don't ask for the consent until the very lot like towards the end where they're about to close. And of course, the landlord is like, landlord is like, well, uh, you know. You can't just assign this lease. Like I don't even know who this buyer is. Yeah, we need to do. We need to look some financial records, or we need a personal guarantee. And then all of a sudden, the landlord is the one holding up the lease. And or I've seen we, we've seen it where they didn't even get the consent until after closing too, right? And, yeah. and that of course that could cause problems as well if the because now the landlord knows that they have some negotiating power because they can basically hold up this transaction. Yeah, I mean, unless you have a, an old school landlord in a in a beach town, uh, that's probably not going to fly. So that's and the reason I that's even bring specific. it up is you, you, the reason I bring it up is because, like you said, it it takes some these can t- it can take time. Like you said, you can't just go to the landlord and say, "All right, we're I'm going to buy this and we're just going to get transferred over, no problem." They're you know, they're going to want to vet the the new tenant and. And in this case, possibly renegotiate terms and, and all that. So it's just, I would, as soon as a purchase agreement gets signed, probably even before, just to kind of get things rolling, I would tackle that as soon as possible so you don't have any of these issues when trying to close. Right. But not all contingencies necessarily need to be met in order to close, so right. long as there's a conscious decision to do so. So that's what happened here. So if you also, if everyone recalls, one of the contingencies of closing on this particular transaction was being able to obtain payer contracts for this particular location. And I think, I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a little more complicated aspect of this transaction because I know a lot of people aren't familiar with these types of agreements. But what you need to understand is a payer contract, you can just look as another vendor. And the idea was that, okay, they need to get this vendor signed up to make sure that they can run their business because this is part of how they get reimbursed. And they take an incredible long uh, amount of time, but this particular buyer, because they've gone through this process before with in their own in their previous businesses, et cetera, that they felt comfortable that okay, I'm I'm okay, I'm free to go ahead and close because I've already gotten assurances I need in order to do that, and it's not worth it for me to hold up closing based upon this, and it's probably not going to be flying too far with the seller if if they held up closing on that either. So. In this case, the buyer waived that contingency, and that's not uncommon. 
Yeah, what you'll see in purchase agreements a lot of times with contingencies are there's two options. It's these need to be satisfied, or you know the parties one usually one party can waive uh, satisfaction of it. So that's that's what happened in this instance. And you know there's obviously a lot of considerations that go into whether to you know whether to waive one of these uh, contingencies or not. But sometimes it just needs to be done in order to to close the deal and and move on. Obviously, it just depends on you know the amount of risk someone might feel like taking on or the amount of confidence that they can satisfy something after the after closing but yeah it's just something to keep in mind and that should be in the purchase agreements as well just to make sure things don't get held up for a long time right so th- in last episode we actually had two problems that came up and there were relatively big problems um in the scheme of the entire transaction the first was the fact that a lot of the staff were probably misclassified, right? They were all classified as 1099 and you know, maybe Matt you can speak a little bit about the classification laws that came out in California that pretty much made it pretty clear that these these people had to be employees. Right. And that was one problem. And then the second problem was this whole trademark issue that came up last last minute. And in both those cases we were able to resolve but not with some certain steps between then and closing and even after closing. Right. And so for for those of you not in California or with businesses in California, starting at the beginning of 2020, the law has shifted dramatic. Well, I was going to say it is pretty dramatic, but not as dramatic as maybe people think. But essentially makes it so that a lot of people that could have possibly been classified as independent contractors and, and were so classified as independent contractors in the past are now is pretty much an impossible argument that they're they're not employees now and there there are certain carve outs for certain uh jobs and roles that people do but for the most part if you're providing a service that is basically in line with the service that the the business is, is providing you're going to be considered an employee and so that's what we did here or we got our client to do here is once the it closed uh we what we terminate all the relationships or all the agreements with the uh, personnel, the contractors, and then just converted them, made, made them all employees. You know, day one, starting with with our client, right? And it's interesting you you know mentioned the law, but I, I think our analysis uh, was based upon even pre twenty twenty in the sense like I think these were mis- they were all misclassified regardless, oh, yeah. uh, even under the old law, yeah. Well, so yeah, let me speak to that real quick is I think pe- that's that's why I was kind of reluctant to say dramatically shifted because as p- people, even if there's one of the carve outs, for example, under the, the new California law, you still revert back to the previous test, which again, make also makes it hard to classify people as uh, independent contractors when they should be employees. So I think, you know, sometimes people see those exceptions and like, oh, we're safe, but it just reverts back to a test that's just not as strict or as broad as the the new one is. Right. And is, I, I think we've talked about this in previous uh, podcast episodes, but employment misclassification is such a common issue. Almost, I, I mean, I, w- I would say a majority of new clients of ours have issues like that. And, and frankly, uh, if you do an audit of any business, I, I think that's the that's the case now. Of course, like there's there's different risk tolerances and, and and so forth, and and even you know companies as big as Walmart and Amazon and of course Uber and Lyft. The, 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 these guys deal with this issue all the time, 
and they, in fact, a lot of them specifically tried to fight, and they they towed that line. But in this case, it was pretty clear. You know, I don't think we need to go into too much detail, but in general, you had employees or workers there that were working there full time. It's an urgent care, so it's not like it's 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 not like they're working independently in multiple urgent cares and so forth. If there were physicians, that might be a different story, but we're talking about mid to lower level staff um, that are actually at these urgent cares. Exactly. Yeah. So that was one issue. I think that that was a little bit easier because it was nice to actually transition. Like you said, at closing, all we had to do was rehire. Of course, like there's all the little stuff, right? All of a sudden now you're taking over an urgent care that didn't have a, a big employment workforce and now they do. And so everything like employment manuals and policies and payroll, all those things need to be set up. But that's, you know, that's with every business, you know, that, that's not something that is is unique to this transaction. Well, the big problem, I, I, I think, was, oh, God, sorry. I was going to say, I mean, it, it also helps when the client is agreeable to that too, because we've seen, I mean, that just right. makes our job a lot easier because we don't have to, you know, convince them otherwise or put put them at more risk than they need to be. So that was definitely helpful in this transaction. Yeah. And I don't think the employees were happy about that. In fact, no. let's talk about that for a second. Like, well, you know, you, you, when you speak to the employees, uh, the work or the staff, the, I should say, when you speak to the staff as to this transition of the buyer, uh, there's different thoughts as to when to do that. And it kind of, it's very case by case. In this case, they actually did it on closing day. By that time, they had already, all the all the staff had already caught wind about the sale if you recall, the the seller kind of told the staff pretty early, probably a little too early. Thankfully, it was it wasn't too disruptive of the business, and you 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 have to have that conversation. Like, hey, there's going to be some changes here, and one of the first one was that you're not going to be an independent contractor; you're going to be an employee, and that comes with some benefits and drawbacks. You know, benefits meaning actual <laughs> benefits like medical and paid time off and things like that, and, and sick leave in California. Uh, but the drawbacks, of course, are the you know tax withholdings that individuals may not be accustomed to or you know prefer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, always makes the situation more difficult if some of the the staff don't want to do the shift, and that's the problem too. We've def I've, we've definitely spoken to people or business owners where they say, oh well. The staff doesn't want to do it, so I'm just going to keep them there, and it'll be fine. It's like, well, it's it's fine until it's not, and they one of them, right. you know, it's a bad you leave on bad terms, and then they make an issue of it. So it's you know, again, there's no perfect in an ideal scenario, you move everyone over to employees, and everyone's fine with it. But that usually it's not really a realistic uh, <laughs> way things are going to actually happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so I think the big problem that was uncovered in the last call, and we kind of left it, uh, it was left a little open, was our, the seller received a trademark infringement demand letter, basically a cease and desist. And, and it was a kind of a tough situation because the brand was important, but, you know, as we talked to the buyer, I, hopefully we made them realize like, okay, the brand is important, but it's not the only thing. It's not the business. The fact that the, there's a urgent care there for X number of years, that in itself has value as well. And so if they had to change the brand, then 
yeah, it would be worth less money, but it's, they would still want to purchase the business. And knowing that information from the buyer and you know, the giving credit to our buyer again of having that, that steady hand to be able to do that analysis with us, it was very easy for us to go back and negotiate uh, with the seller and say, hey, look, okay, we're willing to buy this business, but if we can't have this trademark or this brand, then it's worth X dollars less. And I think it was, I think we settled on, I can't remember, it was like 40, 50K, something like that, and um, a reduction in the purchase price. But we were also, as attorneys, pretty confident that we could figure out and resolve the matter with this other company because we felt that their trademark was weak on one hand. And also, even if it's even if there's a genuine dispute, maybe we can enter into some kind of uh, agreement that allows us to both exist in this in this space. And we gave ourselves three months to do so. Right. And just real quick, I mean, to me, I think you put that well, but to me, the the the, the lease issue was more critical than the, the trademark, the branding, because, you know, you, I think the actual right. location, the, lo, the location meant more, at least, and that's the impression I got. I think our client agreed, but so. Yeah, that would have been a deal. We, you're right. That, that would have been a deal killer for sure. Yeah, exactly. So we did this holdback for what three months, I believe, is is what it was, and essentially what that Correct. allowed our client to do is have three months to decide whether, basically, a decision on whether they want to move forward with the the brand or not, and have that holdback money sitting there. Then, if they do, you know, they the rest of the money gets transferred over then to the to the seller. Yeah. So if they if they choose to keep the keep the uh, brand, then they transfer the money to this to the seller. If they decide to forego the brand, you know, let's say that we attorneys say, look, you know, it's not worth it. You're walking into a lawsuit. Let's avoid this problem. Then they can actually keep that money, that hold back, and they can they would just be prohibited from using that brand. And so it was it was a great compromise. The seller was up for it. Again, you know, we also gave them assurances to help it along. Like, hey, we're pretty sure we'll take the brand. We can get this done. But you know, if we can't do this, then we can't close. And of course, that that made it a, a lot more simple, right? And and going back to what I said earlier, it's all about problem solving, and then finding the solution that's going to appease both sides as much as possible, just to keep the transaction active and get to the finish line. So, that's our series. It's not quite over though. We're going to do one more episode, kind of wrapping everything up in a nice little box and package, and we'll put it in a ribbon. And then we'll slowly open it up, see what's inside, and analyze it as much as possible. And also, hopefully, we can try to get some of the feedback that we've been and talk about some of the feedback that we've already been getting on this podcast series. We've had questions, we've had comments, and so if you haven't sent that already, now is a good time because time is you know we only have one more episode left to do so. You can of course follow us. We're very active on social media. Legally Sound Smart Business, and also Pasha Law. And then, of course, if you have any comments or questions that you want to send directly to us, you can do that by email at ask at legallysoundsmartbusiness.com, which, by the way, previous I've been saying info at legallysoundsmartbusiness.com. I don't know if you noticed that, Matt. It's actually ask, oh. but both work. Well, okay. Well, that's, that's the important thing, right? Yeah, they, they both work. <laughs> you actually, every, every, everything you put in front of the at will actually work, so... I don't know if that's, that's correct, actually but... true. No, I think that is actually true. I have to double check that. Yeah, it may go to who knows some random yeah. person, but we'll get it somewhere. 
And of course, since we're ending our series, if you're listening to this, this is a perfect opportunity. I think you've listened to enough episodes now to leave a review. And if it's not a positive review, then just keep listening to other episodes until it becomes a positive review and then leave the review. That's my advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it'll it will will turn you at some point. So it's just a matter of how many episodes in. For most people, it's first second of the first episode, but with others, it takes a little bit of time, I suppose. For most, it's they listen to the the jingle for the first 10, 20 seconds, and they're like, "This is done. I'm I'm just gonna leave. I'm not even gonna listen to the rest. I'm just gonna leave a five star review." That's yeah. that's the commentary I've been getting. Listen to the first ten seconds, and that's all you need. Perfect. You'll be set for the rest of the of the day. So that was the closing, but it's not done yet. In fact, especially for our client, they actually have to start their business. But in the next episode, we're actually going to take the entire transaction, wrap it up into a gift, put a nice little bow on it, unwrap it for you all, and really talk about all the things that uh, we've gone through throughout this transaction answer your commentary, your questions, or respond to your commentary and your questions that you've all sent in. And speaking of, don't forget to keep sending those in because this is going to be um, your your last chance before we talk about uh, Behind the Buy series. And of course, after Behind the Buy, we're going to continue our Legally Sound Smart Business uh, podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal commentary to that. I, we really appreciate you joining us. Yep. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes and persons which are not actual or authentic and depictions which are a dramatization.